Good morning. I'm glad to have you with us today at Rivermont, and I invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as we continue our series on the reach of grace. How deep, how far does God's grace reach into our lives? And while you're turning there, let me ask you a question. What's the goal of your life? What do you think about or measure as, my life would be successful if? Is it a comfortable retirement? Comfortable life? It's a good goal. Let me suggest to you that in Paul's words, that may be a bit short-sighted. What does God have to say for us of a deeper glory? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes to see what you have for us today. Speak, O Lord. Your people are gathered and your people are listening. We pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, I have a friend who owns a company that designs and builds and installs ballast for commercial ships. And when he first told me about his work several years ago, I thought, that's nice, but I have no idea what you're talking about. It sent me to the books to figure out exactly what ballast is and why ships need it. Maybe I'm the only dunce in the room who'd have to go figure that out. But I had no idea. But what I discovered was that ballast is a pretty simple concept. If a ship is in the water and you load it up above the surface of the water with a whole lot of weight, then the vessel might list or even capsize, especially if there's wind or waves on the surface. And so you add ballast, you add weight into the bottom of the hull to keep the ship upright, even when it bears a heavy load 
on the surface. Weight in the depths give the hull a sense of stability. The same thing is true with sailboats. The keel or the long part that protrudes from the bottom of a sailboat can keep it upright even in fierce wind and waves. The weight on the bottom keeps it being, from being turned over when it faces a force on the surface. Now, aren't you glad you came to church for a physics lesson today? <laughs> but there's a biblical concept of ballast also. And Paul speaks to it in this passage, and the concept is glory. In the Old Testament, the word for glory has the idea of weight or heftiness. Glory is the weighted value, the importance, the significance of a thing or a person. And in the New Testament, that word chosen for glory folds in the idea of splendor or radiance together with weight or value. So what do you look at to consider your glory, to consider your ballast that keeps your life afloat? What provides your sense of weight and splendor that makes you feel like your life counts, it matters, especially when the pressures begin to mount? in your life. What is your ballast? What is your glory? That's what Paul speaks about in this text. If you recall our first sermon in this series on 2 Corinthians, this people were an upwardly mobile middle class in Corinth. They had a city that had been destroyed and was rebuilt from scratch with new homes and new wealth and comfort and they pursued a spiritual life that was an add-on, maybe an enhancement. It was like an, an ornament to be added to the Christmas tree. But it was their success and their wealth and their comfort that was the ballast, that was the glory for this people. And so when Paul, the apostle, came to them with authority and yet with suffering, they thought something was amiss. Because if you suffer, then clearly you aren't doing life the right way. If your boat rocks, then maybe the ballast you've chosen, Paul, is the wrong one, they thought. Now, it's not wrong to enjoy the glory of created things. But if either having or pursuing something becomes your glory, if that's what gives your life meaning, gives your life a sense of purpose, if there's something that gives you a sense of satisfaction so that you say, if I have blank, if I have it, then my life is worth living, that thing is your glory and it has become your God. And friends, the glory of created gods will never keep your life afloat. Not the glory of a respectable job or a place in the community. Not the glory of lots of friends. Not the glory of a comfortable house. Not the glory of being able to maintain a predictable life where everything goes exactly as it should. No created thing will lend ballast or glory to your life. Paul has an idea that is in complete and tremendous contrast. He spoke of a different glory. He wrote of it in chapter 3 and again in chapter 4. And we see it in verse 6 of our text today. He says, God has shown in our hearts to give us the light and knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's using creation language from Genesis where he says, "Light, let light shine out of darkness. The Lord shone His light and His truth into our dark and our dead hearts. And what did that light do? He has given us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Now pay attention because every word in that phrase matters. They're there purposefully. Into dead and dark hearts like ours, God has shown the truth. He's given the light of His glory, His ballast, His weight, His splendor, His honor. And by His Spirit, He puts that into us. The nature of His life invades our dead lives, our dead hearts. And He's made us alive with Christ. But it is also, He says, the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. He uses Jesus' name... And he also uses Jesus' role. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one who would be crucified. Now begin to put those ideas together. The splendor, the weight, the honor, the glory, the, the ballast of a God who was crucified. That doesn't fit, does it? Glory conquers. Glory wins. Glory's supposed to make everything work out just right. But the glory that God shares with us is the glory that we see in a cross. It's the glory of a crucified God. It's a glory that comes in a package in a form that we may not expect to look. God's glory has taken on our shame. And yet it is glorious to behold. It gives weight. It gives ballast. It gives significance. It gives... It gives our lives the ability to stay afloat when the storms of life attack. But it's an upside-down sense of glory, isn't it? And He turns that same sense of upside-down glory to you and to me in verse 7 when He says, we have this treasure, that glory of God, in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Again, those ideas don't fit. Treasure in jars of clay. Nobody does this. It's upside down glory. It's upside down like the glory of a cross. Jars of clay were earthen pots that were common. They were disposable. And they were disposable because they were fragile. They shattered easily. And when they broke, you just got a new one. But no one puts treasure, their most prized possession, in a jar of clay. Because a jar of clay is not strong enough to protect what you value the most. Nobody does that. You don't put your glory in an earthen vessel. In our world, we put our treasure in steel boxes. We, we put it in vaults. It's something that's, something that's solid. Perhaps if we have enough money, we put the treasure of our family in a panic room in our house. It's an impenetrable room to keep safe what is most valuable to you, your your prized possession. We use strong boxes to guard what is precious. But God places His treasure, His glory, His weight of relationship with Him in fragile vessels that are likely to shatter, like you and me. Why? Well, verse 7 tells us the why. So that people aren't enamored with the power of the vessel, but by the power of the treasure inside. God gives the gift of Himself. He gives the gift of His life within us. And that is the glory, that is the ballast, that is the the thing that gives our life meaning. His life within us to keep us afloat when our lives are at sea and in the midst of storm. It is the glory of God taking up residence within earthen vessels like you and me. That gives our life staying power. 
places the gift of His glory within us so that His life shines out of us. Even when we begin to crack. Even when we begin to struggle. So that the world sees His power and His life. When we can't figure it out. When we feel overwhelmed. When we feel abandoned or alone. When we feel like we can't keep it all together. We can't solve this huge problem in the face of our lives. That the world might see God's power at work within us. He places His life in us. Jars of clay. The presence of the Lord by His Spirit within us is our ballast. That is our glory that will keep our lives afloat. No created thing will. So let's quickly look at three areas where Paul shines the light of God's glory into our clay pot existence so that we might marvel at His work as our glory. First of all, we see the glory of a new power. How can we see that the power belongs to God and not to us? Well, you see it in the way that Paul explains it in verse 8. He was afflicted in every way, but not crushed. That word afflicted has a sense of being squeezed. He's saying that they are being squeezed, but not shattered. Now that's, that's hard to do with a fragile clay pot, isn't it? To put so much pressure on it to squeeze it, and yet it doesn't shatter. But it happens because there's a new power. There is the power of God at work within Paul, that clay earthen vessel. He said that they are perplexed, but not driven to despair. How honest. He was perplexed. We could translate the word even as despondent. Maybe even bewildered. Maybe you felt like that recently. Broken and despondent. Lord, how could this be happening? How could this be happening to me? How could this be happening to us? But even though he was perplexed, even though we may be perplexed, we are not driven to despair or lost in hopelessness. Why? Because there's a new power at work within us. There is the power of the glory of God that has taken up residence within our hearts and our lives and within us as a people. So we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Because God is here. He goes on. Verse 9. Persecuted, but not forsaken. That word persecuted is also translated pursued or hunted down, but never abandoned. Christ was forsaken on the cross so that we would never experience being forsaken or abandoned by our Heavenly Father. Even when we feel hunted down, even when we feel chased, God never abandons His people. And He says, struck down but not destroyed. Struck down is used for when someone uses a weapon against you. They beat you with a weapon. As Paul is going to describe for us what happened to him in chapter 6 and in chapter 11. He was stoned near about to death. He was left outside the city wall so that his body would rot. They thought he was dead. He was whipped with, uh, with the, the, the lashes just shy of death. Five times that happened to him. All these times he was struck down but he wasn't knocked out. All these trials, all these difficult things that came against his fragile nature. But he wasn't destroyed because the power of God 
was alive within him. The same promise is offered to you and to me. I love Rocky, don't you? Like the Rocky movies? No matter what you did to Rocky, he always got up. I mean, Apollo Creed could beat him to a pulp or Clubber Lang or he, he always got up. Or even when that, the Russian guy said, I must break you. We knew it wasn't going to happen because this was Rocky. Rocky always gets up. And now Rocky is in his 70s and he's still going. He's Rocky. He always gets up and we love him for it. He's struck down, but he's not knocked out. And as I was studying this passage, I thought a lot about Rocky But thinking about Rocky is exactly missing the point. Rocky trained hard. Rocky worked hard. I always wanted abs like Rocky had. You know, he could take the body blows. Rocky ran and ran, and for whatever reason, he decided that it was a good idea to to punch those sides of beef. You know, I'm not sure what that was supposed to do. But he trained so that he could handle it. He could handle the fight in the ring. He trained so that he would strengthen his body and make it better and be able to withstand the fight. And Paul is saying completely the opposite. He's not suggesting that our vessel gets stronger with training. He's saying we are earthen vessels. We are jars of clay and we shall remain fragile. And that's the point. We remain fragile so that the power of God is what is magnified. The power of God is what is seen, not our ability to train and make ourselves stronger. continues it in verse 10. He says, we are carrying in the body the death or the ongoing sense, better, the deadness of Jesus, so that the living of Jesus may also be manifested within us. He's not saying that if we, if we acknowledge our weakness and train really hard, then we're going to get more powerful. He's saying that the life of Christ, by the power of the Spirit of God, is a new power that has taken up residence within your life, and it is exactly like God speaking light into a dead and dark world. He has spoken life into you. And even when your life is shattered, even when it's distressed, even when it doesn't make sense and you're perplexed and you wonder, how am I going to keep going? God says in your fragility, my light and power shines through. And that is so countercultural, isn't it? So antithetical to the way that we like to think about God. We think so often that if, if we submit to the Lord, things get better. You know, illnesses go away and poverty and distress goes away and problems go away. And we even use that as a measure. That's how we know if God's at work, by defeating our problems. That's the ballast. That's the glory for life. We get past the heart and we are able to float above it all and get better. We figure it out. I'll be satisfied when blank is gone. But Paul's vision is so very different for us. We are present tense, continually carrying on our lives, in in our lives, the dying of Jesus. So that present tense, the living of Jesus, can be seen and experienced through us. He's calling us back to a cross-shaped life. 
Jesus suffered by taking our sin upon Himself. He stood in our place. He was judged in our place. He bore our sin and He died so that being united to Him in death, we could be united to Him in life, in that resurrection life. And Jesus was raised from the dead so that, as one commentator said, we are just several steps behind Him. And that resurrection life promised to us in the future is expressed now. He comes crashing into our lives now. And that is our glory. That is our ballast. The promise of a life more beautiful. The promise of a life more satisfying and complete and whole. So much better than we could ever build for ourselves. That's the ballast for our lives when the storms come. Paul says we are being given over to death so that as Jesus calls us to, we may die to self. We may die to our agenda, die to our insistence on the way a life should go. Because dying to self is the vehicle for that new resurrection power of God to be seen and experienced in life today. We die to the pursuit of our own glory and our own agendas so that the passion for God's glory and God's kingdom agenda consumes our lives. And that's where the power comes. That's where the ballast to keep your life afloat is going to come in that resurrection life of Christ that is alive and at work within you right now. Even when you feel smashed or hopeless or feel abandoned or... You're not destroyed because the resurrection power of Jesus is alive within you today. And whenever you experience it, whenever you see Him do something amazing, as Paul here, all of these things that happened to him, he was delivered, he was kept alive, even though he was he was brought within an eyelash of death time after time after time, yet God spared his life. And those sparings, those mercies were temporary signs of a permanent and fuller deliverance that was waiting for him at the end. And friends, that same power is at work in you right now. So let us keep our eyes on that future life of Christ, that resurrection power that can come crashing into the present and be the ballast that will keep your life afloat. Whenever you have a cold relationship and it begins to experience a a twinge of thaw and within you there's a chance, hey Lord, I feel like I have some energy to try and love again. Celebrate that. Because that is the resurrection, healing life of Christ by the Spirit within you. And know that He can strengthen you to continue to love when you're just about ready to give up. Or when you're downcast because you feel once more you're in the grip of this besetting sin, this sin that just won't let go and it's always harassing you. If you see just a moment of light, a moment of crying out to God, God help me, then celebrate it because that is the resurrection life of Jesus alive in you right now. Let that power of the Spirit remind you of the cleansing blood of Jesus. And the power that made you alive that can shine into a dark heart right now. Or when the Lord does something that may not make sense to you. 
Maybe He leaves you in a circumstance or He moves you to a new circumstance. It doesn't make any sense at all and you're left perplexed. God, what in the world are you doing? Why would you do this to me? Ask the Spirit to remind you of His presence of life that has already begun within you today. I'm thankful for that personally right now. Thankful that there is a Lord who is doing His work and we can be confident in His work in the future. We're perplexed, but not despairing because the life of the resurrected Jesus is here. He is alive, stirring, He's at work, and He is doing magnificent things that we could never predict or expect. When you get knocked down, you're not like Rocky. You don't get up in your strength. But Jesus raises you up because He's alive and He is at work in you and through you. And that, friends, is your glory. That is your ballast. Jesus in you by the Spirit. Because sometimes the blows in life are just going to keep coming. But know that the life of the Spirit of God keeps on giving. When you want to give up, know that the Spirit never quits on you. He within us is our glory and our ballast. We have glory of new power. And secondly, very quickly, we have glory of transformation. By God's Spirit inside of you, you are becoming someone different. Because He has taken up residence within your life. He has taken up residence in you when you want to quit. And by His work, He's transforming you. He's changing you from the inside out. That's what Paul says in verse 16. He says, We do not lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, it would be tempting to think that Paul here is dividing the body and the soul, as if our outer body is decaying, but the soul is being renewed, is coming alive. But that's not exactly how he's using this image. Rather, what Paul is saying is that the outer man or the old nature, the old man is wasting away. And by the power of the Spirit, the new man, the one brought to life by that indwelling resurrection power, that's being renewed day by day. The old sinful man is being torn down and the new man in Christ is being built up by his power. What Paul is saying is we are God's great construction project. And we should put up tape around our lives because your life is a construction zone. And like most construction zones, our lives are messy. And there are parts and there are pieces all over the place. And there's half-finished projects. And the design doesn't make sense sometimes. Sometimes the methods of the construction engineer, he uses things and does things that we are convinced is a misstep. He should have never done that. That is a bad mistake. And our faithful God is at work within us as a great construction engineer, transforming us, even using our affliction and being perplexed and being squeezed and being struck down. And it's all part of His work to prepare us, He says, for an eternal weight of glory. It's far beyond anything we could ever imagine. He is using all of these experiences, even the ones that make no sense, to be ballast in our lives when we are 
in the sea, buffeted by the storm. But to realize these things, verse 18 says, we have to look at things we can't see. Isn't that strange? Look at the things we can't see. Because we so easily set our eyes on the weight and the glory and the ballast that we can see. Comfort, prestige, power, ease, upward mobility, the ability to solve our own problems. But the Spirit's work is so much more. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that says, if I can't see it, it must not be. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that says, if I can't see how it makes sense, it must not be. Don't believe the lie that says, if God hasn't done it this way in the past, it must not be. Don't believe the lie that says, I can't see how I'm possibly going to get through this. And because of that, it must not be. There is a power at work and alive within us. And none of us can see our future selves or plot our journey that will take us there. But the Lord can. The Lord can see. And He's building us into glorious sons and daughters. And that future shapes how we behave in the present. What God is shaping us for and doing in us for the future changes how we live in the present. And that's our glory. That's our ballast. Even when the wind and the storm comes, the Spirit is alive and at work moving and shaping and training you, never wasting a single thing. And that hope of glory will keep your life afloat if we train our eyes to stay on Him. To keep our eyes trained to the bloody cross, the empty tomb, and the powerful and present Spirit who's alive within us right now. Our ship will stay afloat. Let's pray. Father, we pray. And we ask that by Your might and Your power, Your resurrection power, Your power that can call light out of darkness, Your power that can shine into our dead and rebellious and dark hearts, that power, Lord, we ask that it would be present in us now. Help us to see it and sense it and help us to live in that light hoping in You because You are our glory. You are our ballast. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.